You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke 2. Today we'll be looking at verses 8 through 20, which Linus just read part of it for us. Read with me, if you will. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there will... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered if what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray real quick. Father, I just ask for your help today, Lord. I pray I ask for the Holy Spirit to work Um, First through me and in my heart and to others that are hearing today, whether they're here or online, Father. I just pray that um, your word will, will be found to be worthy, to be pondered and treasured, just as Mary did. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to see this today as we respond to the birth of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot of things in this text that you can pull out and preach about and talk about. But where I kind of landed as I was praying about this, and this was actually before Christmas and long before Christmas, um, the, the actual day, that, um, what I settled on was this question. And, and I just want to ask this question of the text And then we're going to see how different people within the text, within our story today, responded to the birth of Christ. And simply that question is this, how should we respond to the birth of Jesus Christ? The Son of God born into the world. The reason for Christmas, the reason why we celebrate the Christmas. How should we respond And I think within here, we will see three different reasons from three different sets of people. They are each pulled out and designed within each paragraph. But we were going to look at them in reverse order. We're going to kind of look at them from the bottom up as we look at our passage today. And the three ways that the text shows us to respond to the birth of Jesus. Now, I tried to alliterate. I tried to be, but it just just didn't work. So it's kind of a little clunky, but it's all here. And and actually, it was better for me just to use the words that the text give. That way you can go right to Scripture and see that Joe isn't pulling this from someplace else. That it's right there in Scripture. Every single one of these things is right there. And how should we respond? Well, the Scripture tells us this. We should hear well. We should make peace and we should fear not. 
We should hear well, we should make peace, and we should fear not. So let's look at the first thing, hear well. Look at, like, look at verse 20 with me. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. So the angel told them something. They listened, and they went, and they saw that it was exactly how the angels told them it was. Right? We were told in, in verses 17, 18, that they didn't did something with this message. They, they heard it, and then they did something. They went and saw it was real, and then they did something. In 17, 18, we see this. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. So the angels appeared. They gave them a saying, right? And this saying is really a message whenever you, you study out the, the Greek word in that. It, it's a message. They were given a message. They heard the message, and they heard it so well that they're actually telling others about the message that the Savior has been born. They heard a message, and they went and saw it, and then they, they, they gave the message to others. This message comes in stages. The angels tell the shepherds. The shepherds confirm the message. And then they go and they speak it to everyone that they bumped into. This message of this baby born in a manger. This Jesus, the Savior. Then one more place we see one more person that heard something and heard well. And that's kind of where we're going to focus in on. And that is Mary. Look with me at verses 19. But Mary treasured up all these things. Partnering them in her heart. See, Mary not only heard the message from the shepherds, but we know reading Luke 1 that she also heard the same message from who? The angels himself. Gabriel came and told her who this son would be. So what is this all about? What is happening here? See, Luke is telling us something about the importance of hearing well. He's trying to point to us, to Mary, and it may be a way that we hear well the message and respond to the coming of the birth of Christ. Notice that the message today comes to you through ordinary means. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm stepping out and saying something wrong here, but I don't know. I, I think if an angel came and visited anybody within this building right now, I think they would be telling people all over the place if that happened sometime in your life. So you have re received the message of the good news of Jesus Christ through ordinary people, through ordinary means. Now, there's something extraordinary that happened, and that was the Holy Spirit changing your heart. That's, that's a miracle, that's, that's a complete miracle. But we hear the message just through ordinary means, through ordinary women and men going about their life, making disciples of Christ. See, the shepherds really had no problem listening, right? It was very easy to listen to an angel. When an angel comes and talks to you, there is no problem paying attention. Right? You're going to pay attention. In fact, after you get done you know, coming off of the ground because you're in fear, you will pay attention to what the angel says. But again, for the rest of us, it comes through ordinary means. Men, shepherds, beggars trying to tell other beggars where to get some food. So we should desire to hear well. We should make an effort to hear well. Mary is being held up as one who hears well. 
Notice that she also listened to the shepherds, and all they did is repeat what the angel told her before Jesus was born. We see that in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known a saying that had been told them concerning this child. Well, Mary knew that. Gabriel told her. But you know what? She listened anyway. And then what is, what is her response? What is her response to hearing the message again of who this baby is that's with them? Her, her response is that she treasured and she pondered what she heard. She treasured and she pondered what she heard. To ponder what you hear is to put in context, to connect what you're hearing. So as we've, we've already sang the word, we've heard the word spoken as, as Tim read it, as Linus read it, as I read the word, as Tim prayed the word, as we sang the word, how have you heard it? How have you taken what you are hearing and put it in your life and, and apply it to your life? That's what it means to ponder. How does it fit in with everything else I know? How does what am I learning today, what, what is being said today, what, what God has moved Nate to pick out songs to say a certain word, to, yes, I, I gave Tim scripture, but the rest of it, he spent time praying and God gave him to, to pray about and to say to you, and then, then what God has given me to try to communicate to you, how does that fit in everything else that I know, that everything else that's happening in my life, what I know about myself and what I know about God? That's what it means to ponder, to truly think about it. That means we, we got we to pay, pay attention, right? First of all, we got to kind of block out what is happening in the world around us and, and what might we be doing next or what might we did last night or yesterday or good, bad. It might be either one. We ask the question, how does this make sense of the rest of my life? Like, how do I... Put this in. That's what it means to ponder. We don't say, oh yeah, I, I know that. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? We ponder it. See, Mary already knew it. She already knew what the, what the, what the shepherds were coming to say. But she listened well. And she pondered it. Again, what does it mean in the context of everything else I know? What does it mean for the way I'm living. Mary is making connections. She is pondering, which is really very, very intense. It's, it's a mental process. Like, we just don't come and sit and consume. We're, there's a process. We, we ponder what the word of God is saying in our lives. We are to ponder. And the second thing we see Mary is doing is, is we are to treasure, which has more to do with the emotions, the heart, more to do with our heart, our desires. To treasure literally means to keep something alive. This is, I got this from Tim Keller. I thought this is a really, really good way to say this. To treasure literally means to keep something alive, like to keep a fire alive by feeding it, or to keep a little kitten alive by nurturing it. It's a word that actually means to relish, to savor, to keep something alive. So it's not like, okay, well, I've heard this Luke 2 passage how many times in my life? Or I don't know, how, many, how old am I? That's maybe even how many times I've heard that message. So do we just check out like I've heard that before? Or do we hear it with new ears? Because we're different. The word stays the same, but we're always growing in sanctification. 
So we hear it differently. But it takes effort to, to keep it alive like a little kitten or as we put wood on a fire. And that's what Keller's trying to, to give us a picture of. This is what we're doing as we hear the Word of God, as we open up the Word of God morning or evening, whenever it is that you get time to do your devotional, and we hear God speaking to us. Are we pondering what He is saying, put it in the, the context of our lives, or are we treasuring up enough that we are, we are fanning it into flames and continue doing it, or we just read it and say, I did it, I know it, and nothing else? No, we, we are to hear well. That's how we are to respond to the birth of Christ. We are to hear well. We're told that she just doesn't ponder the Word of God and the message of God and know it in our heads cognitively. She fans the flame in her heart. She takes it all the way down until she relishes it, until she experiences it. That's why it's so easy whenever we put words to song that it's so easy to hide it in our hearts. And it's so easy to bring it back because it touches our emotions, joy, Maybe a song touches a time that, that you, you were going through a rough patch and, and the song lifts you up. And every time we sing that song or you hear that song on the radio, it brings back that time that God was faithful and you remember him. That's what it means to fan it into flame. That's what it's talking about, treasuring his word in your heart. So can we sit down and treasure and ponder and bring the truth of the Bible into our hearts? Kind of like, like fastening it down or screwing it down until it catches fire in your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what Luke is suggesting. That's what he's calling us to do. We are called to hear well. Hear his word well. And the next thing that we see is that we are to make peace. We are to make peace. This comes in the middle paragraph. Verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Read that slowly. Let that sit down in your heart. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So that means not everybody, every human being on this planet, God is pleased with. I know that's not a popular message, but that's the truth of the Bible. And that's the truth of every one of us before he changes our hearts, before he pours out his grace on us and saves us. What it means to become a Christian, to grasp God's grace, is you now have peace with God. You now have peace with him. One of the most counterintuitive and radical and important themes of the New Testament, which you can read, Paul lays this out really nicely for us in, in Romans in chapters 5 through 8, where Paul says that we are at war with God before we are born again. And I know that, that, that most of us, uh, maybe even sitting here, might have a hard time with that. And definitely those that, that are living under the prince of the power of the air, under the worldly um, ways of the world, and, and without a regenerate heart, they... they they don't even think that. They'll, they'll go and call on this God that they're at warrior with when things go bad, but they won't serve him and love him, and he is not the Lord of their life. Most of us do not believe that before God actually changed our hearts, that we were at war with him. 
Paul uses this word enmity. We are enmity with him, our hearts. Many people say, I believe in God, or maybe I'm not passionate about God, or maybe I'm indifferent to God. They have all these things that are like, well, I, you know, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. That's usually what we hear a lot of times in, in the culture around us today. What's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. We're kind of just indifferent. You want to worship that God, that's fine. But if we believe Genesis 1, that puts those people in, in much trouble, don't they? Because God of the Bible is the God that created everything. So therefore, everything is designed by him and he gets to set the rules, not us. He gets to set the rules. Yet Paul says in Romans 8, the natural heart is enmity toward God. The natural heart hates God. We would never say, even before we were born again, that we are angry with God. Most of us who have loved ones who, who do not follow or believe God in Jesus and, and friends and family members, they don't outright and say, I hate God. Now, there are people that will flat out say that. They're angry at God probably because of something that's happened in their life. But this is the natural man. This is the anthropology of man. We are separated from God. We have no peace with God. Until you see that you're mad at God and hostile to God and angry at God, you don't really understand yourself yet. See, that's why Calvin always said that we read the Bible to not only understand who God is, but we need to read the Bible to understand who we truly are. Before God changes us, and then our identity in Christ. And that's a radical statement. You must understand your heart and understand that you are not fully sanctified. It still creeps up in our hearts today as we are not fully sanctified yet one day we will be glorified. It plays out like this. The unregenerate person overtly asserts his or her independence against God saying, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to live the way I want to live. The religious person, think Pharisees, think someone that is working their way to heaven, someone that doesn't rest in the grace of God, asserts his or her independence against God a different way. They're kind of like working their way there. They're not resting in him. They're, they're checking off all the boxes. The religious person says, I'm going to obey the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to come to church. Now God has to bless me. He has to answer my prayers. He has to give me a good life. What's going on? You are trying to control God. You are trying to control God. You're trying to show that you don't trust him, basically. You're asserting your independence. What Paul is trying to say is no matter who you are, whether you believe it or not, you are hostile to God. Because all you want to do is run your own little kingdom. And occasionally, sometimes we'll let God in and bless us, and then we'll push him back out so we can run our own little kingdom. And you can find that inside the church, and you can find that outside the church. And what the, what the gospel does and what the Bible does, it helps us, those that are inside the church, who are in Christ, who are born again, who are on the path of sanctification, to little by little get rid of that propensity or that, that willingness to do that all the time to God, to kick him out of our life, to, to live as a, as a kingdom of one. I'm in control of it, and I'll do these things, and that should get me some blessings. That's how... But the gospel shows us and, and, and tells us, no, 
Neither way is right. It's all of grace. It's all of God. Paul says the mark of a real Christian is not just a religious person. Is a real Christian comes to see the hostility and comes to realize, oh, not only have I done bad things, but even the good things I've done have been done for the wrong motives. To assert my independence from God. But the Christian says this. I need to be saved by grace. Because even my good things were done for bad reasons. I need to be saved by grace. When we truly rest in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And turn away from the way in which we are living. You're making peace with God. We're giving up our kingdom of one. And we're turning to him. Yes, that is the the overall arching need for every person that's not in Christ. But for those of us that are in Christ and on the path to sanctification, we need to little by little give up control of our life to Him. We're to be saved by grace. We're making peace with God. That's what it is. It's kind of like a peace treaty, right? The war is over. You're at peace with God. That's the reason Luke can say grace and peace together. Those who have grasped the grace of God, who have the grace of God, and are people who have peace with God. We're at peace with God. And because you have peace with God, you are free to make peace in the world. We go make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in his sermon. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers are those who live in grace, who have come out of hiding and stopped covering their junk because their junk does not define them. It's not who you are anymore. Yes, I may struggle with that, but that's not who you are. That's why the 12 steps fall short. Because the 12 12 steps kind of make you have a new identity. And that identity is they'll say, I'm an alcoholic. No. If you are a born-again Christian, you might be someone who struggles with drinking too much alcohol. But that doesn't define you. You are now in Christ. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. We have a new identity. We still struggle. We still struggle with, with... a lot of things. But one day, one day we, we have this hope, we have this wonderful hope that one day we'll be glorified and not only will we not sin anymore, but we won't be sinned against. And we won't live in a world that, that where people are sinning against each other all the time. We'll be with God and we will get to worship Him. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. We're the ones that go and make peace. Christians should be fanning out into the world being peacemakers. We know how to admit we're wrong. Right? When we're at work and something's happened, we step out and we say, okay, I I was wrong here. Forgive me and we can move on. And, And we could do so because we've laid down the fact that if I say I'm wrong, it doesn't mean that these people will think less of me because it doesn't matter what these people think of me. Why? Because I know what Christ thinks of me. I know what Christ is. So, so, so we could freely say, I was wrong. It's okay to be wrong. We're humans. We'll be wrong a lot. It doesn't define who we are. 
When you're walking in Christ and your identity is in Christ, and you can freely do that. And boy, doesn't that bring peace? Doesn't that squash a lot of conflicts? Wouldn't that squash a lot of conflicts inside of your house with your children, with your spouse, with your brother and sister? I was wrong. It's okay. We know how to forgive. We know how to reconcile. Why? Because we have been reconciled to God. We are now at peace with God. The world is better off because not only does peace with God come to those who grasp God's grace, but then peace goes into the world through people who grasp God's grace. We take the peace with us. So make peace. How do we respond? We, we hear well and we make peace. Why? Because he made peace with us through Christ, the baby that came and took our sin. So we're to hear well, we're to make peace, and lastly, we're to fear not. We're to fear not. And we see this at the beginning of the passage. And in the same region where shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all the people. Those four words, basically, you could preach a whole sermon from this text. Fear not, for behold, behold him. Let's just first notice that when God shows up, people are terrified. Are they not? Have you ever stopped and think about your evangelism efforts? So many times, and I'm guilty of this, I'm guilty of this. So many times, like, we're, we're upset because that person is hostile towards our efforts to, to tell them that the, the, the way they're living and the fact that they're an enemy of God, right, to keep with the theme today, that, that they push back so hard. But do you stop and think, okay, wait a minute, I'm bringing to them the word of God that cuts, right? That's, that's what it says it does in, in Timothy and Hebrews, it, it cuts. Not only that, I'm bringing to them the, the spirit of God because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. So maybe sometimes it's, it's not so much that, that they're, they're just being hard-headed or whatever we think, but maybe they're just fearful. Because we all, before we're born again, are separated from God. We're his enemy. And then you're coming and saying, you're his enemy. Yes, we have good news to give them, but maybe that just helps us to, to love them a little bit easier, love them a little bit better. This idea that maybe they're just fearful. Maybe they're just afraid. If we sit here and we took a poll right now, I think all of us are, are, are afraid to give up control. And that's what you have to do when you become a Christian, is you give up control. And that's what we're bringing to them. So when God shows up, people are terrified. It reminds us of the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Adam and Eve originally were put in paradise in the Garden of Eden. And because they had a perfect relationship with God, there was no fear in their lives at all. They walked with him. It was no big deal. God showed up and they sat down and they talked to him. I want you to consider this. If you had a perfect relationship with God, there would be no fear in your life at all. Stop and think about that. There's something to look forward to. If you were in perfect relationship with God, you would not have any fear whatsoever. 
whatsoever. Just like Adam and Eve walking in the garden. What are some of the things that we get afraid of? Well, we're afraid of rejection and failure, aren't we? But if you were just completely filled with God's love, you wouldn't care what people thought. You wouldn't care how you looked. You wouldn't be afraid at all. Here's something else we're afraid of. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of circumstances. We're afraid of bad things happening. We're scared of that. But if you had perfect relationship with God and you knew he was in control, you were his child, and I know that we use this verse a lot, but he's working all things for good. But that good might be your sanctification, which means that you might have to give up a bunch of stuff that's in your kingdom of one that you really like to be in control of and that you really like. But that's not your path to sanctification. If you want to consider this, if you had a perfect relationship with God, there would be no fear in your life at all. There would be no fear. Because the reason we're scared, the reason we're worried, the reason we're anxious, the reason we're afraid is we just don't trust God fully and completely. And that is a process. That is a process. That's why, you know, a saint that has been walking with God for a long time, you look at their life and things come at them and and they just keep on trucking. Well, they just trust God. And it takes time to get there. That's why they call it progressive sanctification. Of course, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? When they turned away from God, when they decided to be their own master, when they decided to be the king of their own little kingdom, to be in charge of their own lives, if we go back to Genesis 3, you'll see almost immediately they feared. They took the apple God came as he normally did, walked in the garden with them, and buddy, they're hiding. They're covering. They're running in fear. You know why? What went into their hearts was the lie of the serpent. And it's the lie that we got to battle every day, brothers and sisters. Did God really say that? Can I really trust him? Can I really give that to him? Can I, can I really give up these things that I really like to, to follow him and, and do what the Bible says, to walk in righteousness? To give up that sin so that I can walk in righteousness? Did God really say that? The serpent said, you need to be in charge of your own life. You need to call the shots. Don't let anybody else, including God, be in charge of your life. And you see this in any relationship, all the time, especially marriages where two people come together and, all right, you ain't telling me what to do in my kingdom. Well, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> the whole idea is, is, is we think because of this lie that if anybody else but me is in charge of my life, there's no way I'm going to be happy. It's just such a simple, subtle lie that gets down into our hearts. 
It's gone down in every human heart, every single one of us. And it's one of the great, great mainspring, like the, the springs of our behavior. Though we may not see it, it creates the space note of fear. I ain't giving up control. Can't do it. creates fear all over the place. We now are afraid of rejection and failure. Do you know why? Because we have to earn our self-worth. We have to earn people's love. That's not really love at all. Because love moves towards people. Regardless who they are or what or anything, it moves towards people. If we're not constantly getting affirmation and love from people, well, we're just going to die, Right? We're just going to die. We've turned from God. We might even believe God loves us, but we're so alienated from him, it's just an abstraction. It's just, we don't really believe it. As a result, we are slaves to what people think of us and slaves to our performance, and we're filled with fear. We're driven by fear because if I don't do X, they will think X, and that'll just destroy me because that's who I am. No, it is not. You are a child of God. And it doesn't matter if every one of us got a big list out and wrote down all the things that we think that are junk, so to speak, and we put it on a big piece of paper, there's about 2,000 other things that God knows about your heart that he hasn't revealed yet, and he still loves you, exactly who you are and where you're at. It's unconditional. He loves you. We don't have to earn his love. It's been given. That's why he sent his son to die in our place. And what happens is, is we become slaves to what people think of us. And here's what's weird. When God actually comes to the Garden of Eden, they're even more afraid. They're even more afraid. Actually, everywhere in the Bible where God shows up and His glory is revealed, people are terrified. The best way to explain that would be, and I got, kind of got this illustration again from Keller's book. If you're impersonating a policeman, you're nervous, right? If you had the whole, the whole guard and you had a car and you're impersonating a policeman, you would probably be a little bit nervous just being out and about. But what would happen if a real policeman came, saw you at Sheets, and came over and started talking to you? We'd probably really freak out, wouldn't we? We would really freak out. What's happening is, is you're impersonating a policeman. You're nervous, probably. See, what's happening is, is if we are believing the lie, if we're living for a kingdom of one, if we are in control of everything, what we're really doing is impersonating God. And then when God comes close, we fear. Because we don't make very good gods. We are not designed that way. There's only one true God. He is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. See, the problem is we're unqualified for the job. And we know it. We know it. That's the reason we're afraid. Fear of failure. Fear of the future. Fear of death. But when God comes near, we're terrified. Because his beauty shows 
our incompetence of being a God. His power shows us our impotence. His glory shows us our darkness and we can't take it. So our lives are filled with fear. We get near God, we're even more afraid. We get far from God, we're still afraid. The angel says, I have a solution. I have a solution for all of us, including Joe. Do you know what the solution is? It's Christmas. First of all, a Savior is born. If you want to get over your fear for rejection, over your fear of failure, if you want to be filled with His love, if you want to be completely forgiven, if you want to lay down the burden of self-justification, you rest in His salvation. His salvation. You stop trying to save yourself. And that gets rid of that fear. What about the other fears? How can we trust Him with our lives? How can we trust Him to obey Him? How can we trust Him that the things that are happening around us are for our good and that He knows what He's doing? How can we trust Him? How do we get rid of that fear that that we can actually trust God? Because a lot of times that fear comes because we don't understand God. Someone gave a, a, a great illustration, and, and I hope I don't butcher it, but, but the gentleman was talking about a rug, right? And it's in a, a certain kind of rugs where one side of it you see the picture, and you can see the picture that was put on the rug. And then on the back side of it you see all the, all the different weaves and different things. And you can kind of see the picture, but whenever you flip it over you can fully see the picture, Well, see, we want to be in control of the front part. We want to paint the picture, but God's the one in control. He's in the back, and he's weaving things in our lives that we may never see because he has a purpose for us, our sanctification, to be holy, to be like Christ. He's always working, and we can trust that, and we can trust him in that. We can trust him. How do we get rid of that fear? The answer is that baby born in the manger is the Lord. He's the Lord of my life and he's the Lord of your life. He's in control if we're in Christ. Christmas means God God looked into the world he created and looked at us and saw the mess we were in and he wrote himself into the real world. He came into the real world as Jesus Christ. He didn't come just to embrace us, but to die for us. That great God in the feed trough, that's who the baby is. He lost his glory so that we in unimportant people could have glory forever. He lost his peace so he could have infinite peace, so we can have infinite peace. He was kicked out so that we can be brought in. There was no room for him in the end. So we could dwell in this house of the Lord forever. Look what he did for you. Won't you trust somebody who did all that for you? Why can't we trust him with our future? Why can't we trust him with our life? If he did all that for us, we can trust him. So do you see what the angel is saying? Do you want to stop all fear? Behold, look at Christmas. Look at what he did. 
to the degree that you behold, to the degree that you grasp it, to the degree that you treasure and ponder it in your heart, to that degree those fears will start to diminish. Brothers and sisters, fear not. Behold, on this day, in the city of David, a Savior was born. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Lord, that you wrote yourself in to the story of humanity. Lord, that you have a perfect plan of redemption. Lord, it's, it's, it's not like so many other religions where we are given a set of things to earn our way or work our way to heaven. No, it's by faith we are saved. And Ephesians tells us that that in itself is a gift from God. As he changes our heart, he gives us faith so that we can believe him and believe that he is Lord and begin the process of laying down our fears. Begin the process of pondering and listening well to you speaking to us through your word. But that we might begin living as people who are at peace with God so that we may go and make peace with others. Father, we thank you that we can trust you with everything in our lives. We could be whole because of the baby in the manger is the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that does not know you as Lord, Lord, I pray that you will send the Spirit and change their hearts and give them that faith so that they can lay down running their own lives and trust in you as Lord today. Father, I pray that you would do that. And then for each one of us that, that are his children, Father, I pray that you will help us to search our hearts, to find the one thing that, that needs to be laid down so that we can then work on the next thing. Because, Lord, there is no greater joy than we are pleasing you. We are obeying you. There is no greater joy than when we are resting and trusting in you. There is no greater joy than when we are serving and worshiping you. Father, I pray that we could know that today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.